there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, uh, this is an audio-only recording of a call with a new potential client from Singapore who's already invested in other locations around the world, and he's now looking to expand to Japan mainly for diversification purposes. So we talk about a huge range of topics all related to property uh, investment market here, from basics like uh, cash flow and poten potential growth, taxes, uh, including income tax and various claimable deductions like purchase cost depreciation, withholding tax, property tax, and limitations on non-resident buyers, prices and yields in various locations, uh, property profiles, advantages and disadvantages of each of those profiles as investment real estate, what is a good uh, and or reasonable amount to invest and why, uh, viewings and gauging the interior condition of tenanted properties, which is not that simple in Japan, tenant profiles, property management, uh, reselling properties that are held, and much, much more. And then we also talk about our own services, how they work, how much they cost, and the ability to conduct the entire process remotely without having to visit Japan at any stage. So a really good, thorough conversation, which should be interesting for anyone considering investing here for the first time, and probably even for those already invested here to one degree or another. Enjoy the chat, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, so let me just browse down through your email so I can refresh my memory. Or do you want to give me a background um, again? Yeah, so so basically I, I'm just looking at um, diversifying my portfolio uh, of properties in Singapore and also uh, in Malaysia. So I'm looking at Japan as a possible way to diversify as well. And um, uh, thank you for your podcast. I've listened to a lot of the interviews that you have done. Thank right? you. So I I Appreciate a, that. A little, a little bit of a flavor of Japan, but I, I think nothing beats hearing from you uh, personally, right? So maybe I just share my my um my goal. I'm I'm I heard you talk about like the net you in in Japan or in certain areas that you mentioned could even go up to like um seven and eight percent. I think that that was interesting because. Uh, in Singapore, we generally get about maybe two or three percent. Yeah, I think right? you might have been listening to some older episodes because these days, if we get seven percent, we're very happy. Normally, the top we'll see is six, six and a bit. Yeah, I see. No, six and a bit is still great. Right? It's, yeah. still, it's still way better than 
and and obviously that's not going to be central tokyo sorry yeah 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 yeah. so so yeah No, no i'm just saying in singapore mostly people are playing it for the capital gains uh strategy yep right Whereas in, in Japan, it's kind of like the rental yield strategy, right? Yeah. Correct. So people here invest mainly Sorry, for the cash flow. You, um, do you hear me clearly? Because I... Um, yeah, I, I can hear you perfectly. I can't really hear you. Really? Um, okay, you, can you hear me perfectly. Okay, great. Right, hang on, hang on. Give, no, me, give me a second. Give I think me. it's just, just that moment and it was a bit choppy. Okay, no worries. So yeah, people invest here I mainly know, I for... Fine. I think now it's fine. Yeah. Yep mainly for the cash flow and because of the hassle-free nature of the tenants and the professional companies that you work with and all of that. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I just want to ask re- regarding like foreigners when we were to buy uh, in, in Japan as a form of investment, right? Um, yep. What, what are the taxes uh, involved? Like, is there like specific tax that foreigners need to watch out for? Or is it- you're actually exempt from some of the municipal taxes because you're not a resident, but that, that's very small amounts in any case. So it's almost entirely identical to um, entirely identical to residents. There's and there's also no um, legal limit on owning property. Everything is free. Almost everything is freehold. Uh, it's very rare that properties are not. Um, there's no limit on foreigners purchasing properties. It's just practically on the ground. It's difficult to deal. It's difficult for the Japanese entities to deal with foreigners because a lot of them have never done that before. Right. Okay. And and in terms of uh, loans, I, I I remember you mentioning that for foreigners it's almost impossible. Is that still that? Is that still the case in in Japan? Um, well, UOB actually in Singapore are now offering uh, individual investment loans. Right. Oh, okay. For, for Japanese properties. For Japanese properties, but strictly for investment and only in right. uh, Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka and Kyoto, as far as I remember. Good enough for me, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you remind me, if you reply to our last email and remind me, I'll send you a copy of their product brochure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um... Let, um, let me ask a bit more about the taxes because that was something that when I search on the internet, I get very different answers. So, okay. um, is there an income tax on the rent, rental? There is. Um, once you get to 485,000 yen net per year. So, after you've claimed all of your purchase costs, your management costs, if your portfolio is still generating beyond that in taxable income, that's when income tax kicks in. Um, but it's quite low. It's 5%, I think, from memory until you reach about 2 million yen a year and then it goes to 10%. Right, right. Oh, it's only 5% because I, I saw on some website it says there's a withholding tax of like 20% or something. Yeah, but withholding tax you get back when you file your taxes. It's not a real tax. Oh, it's not a real tax. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it is a real tax in the sense that it's being charged, but next year when you file your income tax statement, then you get a refund for that. Oh, so upfront you will give twenty percent, then later on they will return you say fifteen percent of it. In some cases, it really depends who the seller of the property is and who your tenant is. Uh, commercial sellers and commercial tenants are a bit more aware of the because the honest the the it's the one collecting the income from the foreigner that is uh, mandated to report it and withhold the tax. So it's not like something that you have to do; it's something that 
they might be aware of and would therefore withhold it and report it to the tax department. So if you happen to buy a property, from example, for example, from a um, from a real estate agency that owning and selling the property themselves, then they might charge. Uh, no, but so, sorry, that's a purchase. That's when you sell a property. Sorry, pardon me. Um, backtrack. That's against, that's <laughs> yeah. tax, right? When you're selling a property and you're receiving an income from a Japanese commercial entity, uh-huh. that's when they might withhold the tax. And then you can claim it back from the tax department the next year once you file your taxes. And the same goes for tenants. If your tenant is a commercial entity, like someone you sometimes you're going to have a company renting a property from you, then they are usually aware of the fact that they need to charge withholding tax because you're a non-resident landlord. In which case they will withhold tax from the rental income. And again, when you file your taxes the next year, you'll claim that back. Withholding tax is basically designed to prevent foreigners from running off with the money without paying their taxes. As long as you're filing your taxes, it all comes back to you. Right. Okay. So it really doesn't matter if I rent it to a private uh, citizen or a company. It's just the way the tax is being collected. Well, yes, except that, for example, let's say you just own two tiny properties um, and you're under the reporting threshold... So you wouldn't have to hire an accountant and file a tax return. But if somebody withheld tax from you, then you would have to hire an accountant and file a tax return just to get it back. So it could be a few hundred extra dollars a year that you'd have to pay just to get it back. But that's only for small portfolios. If you've got a portfolio of, you know, sufficient enough income that you're filing your taxes anyway, then no, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, it makes a difference in cash flow because you'll get it back a year later. But in the the bottom line, no, it doesn't make a Correct. Okay. Um, for for purchasing um for foreigners purchasing property in in Japan, I I know you talked about like mostly apartments, and I think in fact in one of your episodes you mentioned that um buying houses on on land is itself it wasn't really recommended. For investment, it's not recommended. If you're planning to do something yeah. else with a property, um, that's entirely a different matter. Yeah. Right. Why why was it not recommended for investment? Um, for two reasons. One is that houses in Japan are usually, unless it's a very custom-made house, but normally are, they're made from very flimsy materials. Yeah. They're not really built to last. So once they hit 20 or 25 years, um, maintenance costs rise significantly. Right. And the other reason is that um, Japan being Japan, the population being what it is, with families shrinking in size and most of them having you know one or two children at most, um, it's just easier to find single or couple or couple with toddler tenants than it is to find a tenant who actually wants to rent a family-sized property. Right. So they, they wouldn't rent like a 3DK, 4DK type. Um, they do. Or... They do. But it's, e- it's a lot easier and faster to find smaller um, footprint tenants, if you will. Oh, right. But but having said that, there are advantages to having a family tenant because they stay longer and they take better care of the property compared to some of the singles, especially if you've got like an old destitute man who just sits there and smokes all day, which often happens in Japan. And then the property is not going to be in very good condition once they move out or pass away. Whereas with families, they tend to take better care of a property. Right. And they stay longer. Your typical single or couple will stay in place an average of somewhere right. between four to five years. Families usually eight, ten, even more. Okay. Um, because for, for me, I, I, I come from the background whereby whenever we talk about buying property, if you can buy a land, then it's a lot more valuable because at the end of the day, you can kind of um, 
kind of renovate the place or even rebuild the house, would that be something that you would um, that, that's yeah that that's true in Japan as well but most of our customers to be honest are not really looking for um, mental bandwidth consuming creative strategies of being flexible with the types of rentals and constructing this and demolishing that they're looking for something that's turnkey and they can collect the income um, easily and smoothly every month so that factor usually doesn't give them much of an advantage but I would definitely say if your budget can allow it I would get definitely a landed property but maybe a small building a multi-unit building rather than a house with a single income stream you'll have four or six or eight different units right. that are generating right. income streams right and they're a lot cheaper oh, than most think. people think in japan they start at about 35 40 million yen a whole a whole building a whole building million. correct that's, that's, that's like a one-bedroom apartment in singapore i know that's 350 US dollars. <laughs> 350k, sorry. 350K US. 33, uh, at current rates, it's even crazier. It's about 300,000 starts, huh? Yeah, 300,000. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I not all cities, <laughs> not all okay. Like, for example, Fukuoka City, which is very popular, usually starts at, pardon me, 4550. Um, Osaka, similar. Nagoya, maybe a bit lower. Yokohama, we can find something 30, 35, maybe 40. Um, to be on the safe side, uh, let's say let's call it 40 million plus. Now, here's some big news for anyone interested in Akia, the abandoned vacant homes that are abundant all around Japan for very attractive purchase prices. Akia Mart, our latest sponsor, is a recently founded online search and discovery tool for Japanese real estate. Its user interface will be very familiar to users of Zillow or Redfin. The platform essentially scouts the internet for property listings, translates them into English, and displays prices in US dollars all in one place and with a dynamic map interface that makes browsing, finding, and shortlisting your favorite properties a piece of cake, which any of you have been struggling with the dozens, if not hundreds, of Japanese property websites that are available online and their very clunky interface will probably find a real blessing. They've got already over half a million listings on the platform and the database is expanding daily, ranging from abandoned rural homes to luxury urban properties. Akia Mart makes it easy to find your dream home in Japan, regardless of your budget. Now, while the platform is essentially free for use, here's an exclusive offer for listeners of the podcast. You can use the promo code NTI to receive $5 off Akia Mart Pro. The subscription will unlock a bunch of very attractive features for you, including unrestricted access to the entire nationwide property database and a whole range of filters, which will help power charge your search for that elusive perfect home and make it even easier. So hop over to akia-mart.com, that's A-K-I-Y-A-M-A-R-T, akia-mart.com, and kick off your search today. Right. What? In terms of like investment return, um, would you suggest we we are looking more at like the major cities or or going further further out um, into the outskirts? Like, um, aside from Tokyo and Central yeah. Osaka, I would go for a major, more stable city. Not for the investment yields, because investment yields will be higher, or at least will be higher on paper when you start. Um, they will be higher in smaller towns. Um, yeah. But better locations, number one, tend to hold the value of the property a little bit better. And the uh, tenant base is, is a lot bigger and more robust. Whereas with smaller townships, I mean, we'll obviously try to point you in the right direction. We're not going to go for a town that's fast declining in population. But even if it's got stable population, 
the tenant base is smaller and in many cases a lot older too um which just creates i mean it's still japan it's not going to be a horrible disaster but it, it's again requires more mental bandwidth you occasionally i mean the less central the property is and the older it is the more that you have rent wars starting so whenever you have a vacancy you have to check how many newer buildings are offering similar rents and then you have to reduce your rent so it kind of becomes a bit of a race to the bottom whereas right. if you're investing in a safe and stable and central location in a larger city your yield would be lower but it would hold that yield a lot better over time it doesn't so fluctuate large, as much i see so for large cities what kind of yield are we looking at like compared to let's say the rural part of the country um it's probably the difference between four and a half to five and a half percent whereas with smaller townships we'd get six to seven if we're lucky okay if it's tokyo though it's more like like Singapore, like two, three, three and a bit percent. Central Osaka, similar, maybe four percent if you're lucky. Mm. But suburban Osaka, Kobe, um, Yokohama is Japan's oh, well, second yeah. biggest city, for example, and yields are still very high there. Yeah. Um, I, I, have a, I have a weird question. I don't know whether it makes sense, right? Because I, I keep hearing this thing about Japan being the property doesn't appreciate, right? It, it kind of just stays the same price for the last... Uh, the structures uh, don't appreciate. Land in central areas land, definitely appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so apparently, like, before COVID, the prices have kind of stayed stagnant for quite a long time? Um, right? Not really. They started... Rev- really. I mean, they hit, they hit bottom at the end of 2012, and since 2013, they definitely have been rising in all major cities. Um, the only outlier is Nagoya, where COVID definitely took a hit. So prices there are lower at the moment. But all of the other big cities have definitely been... Uh, Tokyo is past where it's been uh, pre-bubble days. Exactly. So, so I'll, I'll, and you know, it's I'll not like structures like, actually appreciate in other countries. It's always just the land. No, <laughs> a building is not worth land, more yeah, as it gets older. Yeah, so... Would that hamper or, or change your decision between investing in apartments versus buying a, a property with, with land? Um, well, first of all, apartments do come with land. They come with a portion of the land. So if it's, shot out, yeah. it's, it's chopped up between all unit owners, but they do gain in value when the location does well. Um, right. The bigger the land, obviously, the more you stand to gain if and when things improve but then we're going back to the speculative discussion japan has been doing all right in the last 10 years but 25 years before that it was deflationary right so we personally i mean if you twist our arm we'll buy whatever you tell us to but we personally would prefer to direct our customers to focus more on cash flow than potential growth right so if if any growth or capital gains is like a bonus rather than something you should expect. Exactly. And and you can invest in cities that have been doing well when the economy does well. So, for example, instead of Tokyo um, or Osaka, you invest in Kobe or Fukuoka. Um, those are still locations that do very well when the economy does well, but they're not inflated like Tokyo and Osaka. Right. I, I, I love Fukuoka. When I, when I visit, I, I always find Fukuoka as a... a, a, a better place to stay not so crowded and the prices are not so high as well it's definitely the best city i've lived in i'm biased <laughs> you're, you're still in fukuoka right now right yeah yeah we've been here for 11 years now right okay okay um oh yeah so i wanted to ask regarding the service that you provide because for for myself like you say i i, I don't think i want something that takes out a lot of brain space so um i i've read your document uh 
briefly before our call. I apologize. Right. Yeah, right. Um, so, so in terms of like um, working with the agent uh, or even like receiving the rental, um, is there anything that uh, you are not uh, providing within your service that the that the investors have to do it ourselves? Um, well, we're not accountants, so we'll put you in touch okay. with an accountant and we can provide the accountant with all the documentation that they need to do their work, but we're not going to be the ones doing that. That's a separate payment. Um, if you need any legal litigations, court evictions, there might be lawyer fees involved, um, just stuff that we're not certified to do. Um, for other things that are not directly related to property, but customers sometimes ask us for I've, I've recently established another company so th there's stuff that we'll be able to do even if it's not directly related to property just not under nti it will be under a different company but anything related to i mean we're not the ones doing the property management ourselves we utilize third-party property managers so that's a separate charge and we we are not the real estate agent we work with real estate agent so really all of our work is sourced through third parties. We're just a single point of contact in English for the customer. Right, I understand. But there's a bunch, I mean, there's building management companies, renovation companies, property managers, real estate agent, insurance, tax, every, I mean, all of the third parties, we, we channel it for you, but we're not the ones doing it ourselves. Uh, right, I understand. Um, so with, with all the, the, the other third parties like property management, I'm just thinking about the ongoing cost, right? So the property management, the, the agent uh, fee, roughly how many percent of the rent it would it would be? So like it will, it will add up to are, are we talking about the purchase or the ongoing management? Which one? Um, maybe both. Maybe both. Okay. Well, so for purchase, it varies depending on the price of the property. The pricier it is, the less it it ends up being percentage wise. So right. assume something between let's say 10 to 13% for those small buildings, or let's say for anything above 20, 25 million yen. And Less then than 25 million yen, Above, yeah. And then above, above. above. And then the percentage goes up as you go down in price. So for example, the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest properties could come with 20 or even a bit more percent uh, purchase costs. 20, okay. The cheapest properties and then once you reach about 10 million yen it becomes something like 17 18 percent and again all the way down to 10 13 or so okay and that's composed of the realtor fee which is again varies depending on the price but somewhere between three to five percent our fee which is three to five percent the purchase tax which is varies again but between one and a half to two and a half percent and legal and registration which is normally between one to four percent and again, the higher the price, the lower the percentage it'll be. Mm, okay, got it, got it, all right. And for management, um, so, oh, yeah, management, yeah. yeah, so if you're buying a condo unit, um, building fees can vary a lot. So depending on how old and how fancy the building is, it could be anywhere from 30% to 50% of the gross rental income. I mean, a luxury property, for example, um, might net you, I don't know, $2,000, $2,500 a month, but you'll be paying $500 a month in building fees, right? Wow. For instance. <laughs> but the cheaper, older properties, which are usually the cash cows, that would normally be somewhere between yeah, 10 to 20% for building fees. Uh, property managers charge um, four or five percent, depending on location, depending on whether it's a single uh, unit or a building. 
Oh, 5%, okay. Uh, we charge essentially 2% at some level, but we do have a minimum of 3,000 yen or so. And then insur uh, insurance is peanuts in Japan. It's 10, 20 bucks a month or something like that for most units, for, for most properties. Um, and that's the it. Insurance is to insure the, the tenant? Like no, no, the tenant insures themselves. Oh, the, tenant the tenants take out their own policy for their um, physical, physical well-being and their belongings. We are insuring the interior of the property in case of a condo unit or the entire structure in case of a standalone property. So if, if let's say we were looking at around like uh, 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 500k to 600k, how would you um, uh, propose for an investor to invest in Japan? Would it be US? Many of the small cash? Yes, US dollars. Man, many of the small cash cow that you mentioned, or um, I've heard in some of your podcasts whereby you say just buy like a few, maybe it's like close to 200k each. So maybe three, three of those. Um, for 500k, that's already good enough to purchase a building. I would definitely advise that because, okay. yeah, because then again, you get the larger land plot and you get the flexibility of being able to do uh, not everything, but almost everything you want with it, with it down the track. Um, you're but not going to be... be a lot of hassle to just to manage a building or no, the property managers do their job well. You would, it wouldn't be, I mean, managing four doors in the same building or four separate doors all over the country. I mean, it's a hassle for us actually with the smaller ones because we have to deal with different property managers. But um, from your perspective, it's, it's not going to be a different. I mean, there are more unexpected things with the building because there's nobody collecting reserve funds and taking care of the structure. Then everything that happens to the building, everything that needs to be done is on you. So financially, it can be a little bit less stable on an ongoing basis because you suddenly have okay. to do the roof or you suddenly have to clean up the exterior or stuff that you just don't need to think right. about with a, with a condo right. unit, right? Um, but otherwise, it's definitely not more of a hassle and you get the flexibility. So if you can, if you can be disciplined enough to put, let's say, I don't know, 10% of your income aside, then that should cover any repairs or renovations that you'll need to do. I have a friend who is also interested. I mean, I'm just asking as well. How about, let's say, like a lower budget, let's say, um, maybe just like 100K to start with, right? That's one investment unit or two if you want to go really, um, I mean, it's Japan, it's not ghetto, but really low income, small town, then maybe two investment units. Yeah. Would those be hard to resell in the future? Like, no, it's a very liquid market. Years? It's a very liquid market. It's the world's second biggest market, second only to the US. So if the property is right. priced properly, we've never had them stand on the market for more than two, three months. Right. Okay. So so even if it's a... Um, what, what would be the smallest quantum be like? Like, like 50K? Yeah. I mean, we can and we sometimes get asked to find cheaper ones. So if you insist, we will. But I would feel a lot more comfortable starting at around 50k because that's when the unit profile becomes a little, better, a little bit better. And that also means a better tenant profile. Right. Okay. Understood. Understood. So better tenant I mean, again, again, it's Japan. They're not going to be deadbeats and criminals and, you know, run drug labs or, or, you know, damage the property intentionally. But still, they could be destitute pensioners with nobody to take care of them. They could be entry level, um, you know, shift workers, convenience store workers, people that could occasionally have some payment issues, not as much as in other countries, right. but still. Okay. And higher turnover as well. So... 
above 50k would be like a sweet spot to start with. Can I say that? Uh, would be the place to start. The sweet spot, start, I would yeah, say, yeah. would be closer to 10 million, yeah. So closer to 100,000. Okay, 100,000 yeah. 100, would be the, the sweet spot. Okay. I mean, for, for cash flow, if you want safe and stable and you don't mind the lower yield, then, you know, bigger and um, more pricey is better because, again, it's it's more... You're going to attract tenants that are going to have less issues. That's all. Right. But, but then yield does tend to drop quite significantly above about 10, 12 yeah. million. I see. In terms of capital gains, do you think such properties like the 50K and the 100K properties will, it, will ever appreciate or is really just a cash cow strategy? Um, our customers have gained some when they sold these properties if they're very centrally located. So, for example, right. one of the oldest buildings that we still manage um, just because we we helped customers purchase there when we started so about 12 years ago we wouldn't touch it now because it's getting close to 50 years old so oh, actually i think it just passed 50 years old so one of those buildings oh. when we started working which is about 12 years ago units were selling in that building for about fifteen thousand us and now it's more like 40, 50,000. So people who have, wow. yeah, people who have, but, but that's in the heart of Fukuoka, right next to Hakata Station, Canal City. Um, it's Can a, you find something so ch cheap? Not anymore, I can't, no. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> no, but you're saying right now they're selling at 40K, 50K, right? Do you think? Uh, last time I checked, that was a few years ago. Oh, it's probably a bit more, okay. yeah. Right. Okay, I mean, you still can find, those are one bedroom apartments, I assume. That one in particular is more like a closet. It's 12 square meters, <laughs> not even a balcony. And, and, these are, and, and these are no issue if you want to resell it. No issue to resell and not even an issue to find oh. a tenant. We never had it stand uh, vacant for more than a month because there's always people who want to live in that spot, regardless of the size of the property or how okay. old it is. And the building... Because this is, I mean, when you think about a building like that in Japan, you can imagine that nobody who can afford to buy these units will ever want to live in them, obviously. I mean, you wouldn't, right? And then anybody who can afford to live in them is never going to have the money to buy them. So they're strictly investment properties. Oh, yeah. Anybody who buys and sells them know that they're buying and selling an investment property. Or investment, yeah. Yeah, and that means that they are priced, regardless of market fundamentals, they're only priced on the rental yield that they get, right? So as long as that's coming in and as long as Fukuoka is popular and people realize that prices are getting higher, then there will always be a renter and there will always be a buyer. But having said that, 50 years is definitely way beyond our comfort zone. We wouldn't recommend for anyone to buy anything younger than 30 uh, at the time of purchase. What, anything older what, than 30, sorry. What, what happens to this apartment when they hit like 50 years? Do they, do they get torn down or does the government like repossess them or... I mean, in Singapore, sometimes it does happen. Like the government will repossess very old homes and they just compensate you a sum of money. Um, not here, or at least it hasn't happened to us or anyone that I know. Normally what happens is um, far, before, far before the building reaches that age where somebody will want to buy it um, or, or repossess it, the owner, yeah. because again, they're investment properties. So the owner union is always, um, each, each and every unit owner is always thinking about the return. As yeah. building fees get higher, because when a building reaches, say, 40 years of age, that's when maintenance really yeah. starts kicking in and yield yeah. keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So the owner union will normally vote to sell the entire building far before it even becomes an issue of, of um, forced eviction or forced uh, reselling or anything. Oh, they'll sell the whole building off. 
Yeah, and they only need 80% agreement to pull off the sale. So usually as the building gets older, everybody kind of agrees that it's time to sell it. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. <laughs> I see. But who will buy? I mean, I'm just curious. Who, who, who will be buying those? Developers. Developers, yeah. I see. Yeah, it depends on. So, for example, just to go back to that same example, the building that I was describing, um, it's huge in Japanese standards. So about, I think, 250 units, 250 rooms. Wow. And it's sitting smack in the middle of Hakata and it's 50 years old. So as you can imagine, zoning regulations have changed very significantly since it was built. Mm -hmm. So a developer who's buying this now will never be able to build another 250 units on it, right? They're, yeah. they're going to be bound by current zoning regulations, which might cut the size and the profit in half. So it's never going to be an attractive prospect. You're not going to be doubling or tripling your money if you sell to a developer, but you will at least get your money back in most cases. Hmm. Okay, so so it's kind of like your downside is protected still, right? So. To, to a point, if it's in a good location, yeah. definitely. But if you're buying out in the sticks, then you might not have a buyer, right? So we, we would normally, again, when we work with an investor and it's not a lifestyle choice, it's a financial choice, then we would definitely be directing them towards locations where that can be avoided. Right. Okay. So for, for someone like me who is just starting out, um, actually, which area would you uh, recommend that I, I invest in right now? At what budget? Um, let's say we start with, uh, you were saying 100, 150 100, 100k at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe 100k. Yeah. Um, well, 
the only place where 100k won't buy you a super attractive property is maybe central Tokyo. So I think any of the big cities are still very much in play at that budget. Um, I would probably direct you to um, suburban Osaka or Kobe, Fukuoka City, um, Chiba City, if we want to stay around Tokyo, Saitama City. Um, central or at least not too suburban Yokohama because Yokohama is a huge city but beyond the four or five stations around the port it gets very rural um, but definitely central Yokohama, uh, Kawasaki if we manage to find something there but it's very similar to Tokyo Fundamentals so not very often yeah. um, maybe Kyoto if we oh. find something but there's not that many investment properties in Kyoto it's mostly old houses unless you want to run Airbnbs, Airbnbs and stuff yeah it's, tur it's mainly tourism, right? Yeah. <laughs> also, 100k, you still can get suburban in Tokyo. You can get suburban in Tokyo, but much older and much smaller than you get in other cities. So I probably, right. unless we happen to hit pay dirt, I probably have try not to look too hard at Tokyo for that budget. I see. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, Oh yeah, I have one question about the tax deductible that you mentioned in one of the videos. You were mentioning like it runs out in three years or something like that, or five years. Uh, as an individual, yeah, as an individual, not all yeah. tax deductions. So the depreciation yeah. of the property itself, you can carry forward until it depreciates completely, which for concrete is forty-seven years. Right. But the um, the claiming of the purchase costs. Um, well, let's put it this way, the claiming of a loss, a total loss in income, so adding up the purchase costs versus, versus the rental income minus the management costs. So for the first one, two, three years, you're going to be operating at a, a loss on paper. Oh, the, okay. That loss can only be carried forward um, three years in individual, as an individual. Mm-hmm. After that, you can't claim that anymore, only the depreciation of the structure itself. Right. Um, or five or six years if you're buying under a corporate structure. Right. But for foreigners, it's a lot harder to set up a corporate structure, right? Oh, it's not hard at all, but it costs money. And it costs money on an annual oh. basis to keep it alive as well. Yeah, alive. Okay. Yeah. You can also purchase under a foreign corporation name. That's not a problem. Um, that slightly reduces the annual upkeep because there's no minimum corporate tax like there would be. So maybe instead of like three or four thousand US a year in company upkeep will be more like two three thousand bucks a year okay um but again you want to make sure that you're getting enough rental income to cover those upkeep costs right so it's okay. usually not worth it for purchases that are less than let's say half a million six hundred thousand us I see. or oh, total okay. total asset value it doesn't so have total, to be a asset yeah, value yeah. Well. right also after the third year any like ongoing expenses you can't claim that as, as a as a tech oh, no, ongoing management expenses you always claim right because that's all concluded within the single year right it's not a huge amount like purchase expenses and uh, depreciation again you claim until the life cycle of the depreciation ends right. for that property right so the purchase expenses are, are what again um the... let's say worst case for cheaper properties 20 percent. if you're talking about 100k probably more like 16 to 18 percent so you will just claim that full amount across three years. Right? Correct. Spread out across yes. Okay. Yeah. So if your property, for example, let's say conservatively, a property might be yielding you, let's say 5% a year, mm. but you've got 15% to claim. So those first three years are covered, right? Uh, right. I see. So, but 
why why would that what make me want to sell after the first three years or something? Um. So we do have customers that do that. They recycle the properties every three or five or six years just so that they can start the claiming cycle again. Does it make sense? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking in my head. Well, I mean, if you can't claim as much as you could, then you would sell the property. But I mean, if you sell the property and you get an income, you'd be paying income tax on that income as well. So that's yeah. something that's a little bit over my pay grade. That's more of an accountant conversation. <laughs> But we do have customers that recycle through properties, not just for tax purposes, but also, again, as the property gets older, building fees get higher, the yield shrinks, it's time to recycle, right? Okay, okay. So would it, I mean, because it's it's kind of like a cash cow game, right? Would would you recommend recommend me to like hold on to a property for extended period? Or is there like a sweet spot whereby after how many years it's best to kind of recycle the the asset? Um, With... Close to that 40-year mark is a time to consider selling it. Right. Okay. Closer to the 40-year mark. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Just because, again, you want to avoid shrinking yields and also other investors who will be buying the property from you have the same sort of calculation in mind. So they'll want to see a lower price. And also that's when the aggressive um, developers start sniffing and swooping in and trying to buy it off the owners cheaply. So to avoid right. that situation, we recommend to customers to buy um, up to 30 years on purchase. And then within s- yeah, and within six, seven years or up to 10 years, consider selling it again. Right. But I mean, look, some of them are really such good income drivers that many owners just don't mind riding it till it drops kind of thing and then just getting rid of it for whatever peanuts they can because it more than paid for itself in let's say the 20 years that they've been holding it right okay oh one thing about the rent i want to check with you um you were saying that it's almost impossible to raise rent in japan is is that correct? Has been to date, yes, in our experience, except very, very central locations, and even then only by 10, 20 bucks a month, not more. Even, let's say, if you change the tenant, or like, let's say the tenant leaves. Yeah, often when you change the tenant, you'll actually be reducing the rent because number one, you might have a tenant who moved in in bubble days and they don't like to negotiate rent in Japan. That's considered conflict, so they just keep paying it. But actually, based on current salaries and current cost of living, you should be charging a lot less. And also the building gets older, there's more competition from newer buildings in the area. So again, a race to the bottom with the rent kind of starts. You definitely are not raising the rent in the vast majority of cases. Wow. Okay. And, and that's why as the prices goes up, the, the yield starts to drop for many years. Correct. Yeah. Because the, the, the purchase price goes up, but the rent only goes up slightly at Ex- best, ex- right? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. That's interesting. Because in Singapore, the rent has gone up. Um, even more than the price has gone. I wish we could do that. <laughs> but still, we are at 3.5% in, in Singapore. So Yeah. And that's like your best case scenario. Well, I mean, you're in the same boat. I mean, the numbers are bigger, but it's still, the rents are going up, yes, but the purchase price is really going up in Singapore, right? Similar to Hong right, Kong. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm at, sorry, my Zoom is uh, the free version. So in two and a half minutes, if it uh, runs out, we'll just jump back in again. Oh, yeah. No, no worries. Um... Actually, I think I, I've got pretty much what I wanted to ask. Um, maybe just the last thing. If I were to purchase a property uh, with you or your company, um, do I need to make a trip down to Japan? Nope. 
I mean, no, it's, no, even the purchase. Even no, the purchase, no, no, we do. You give us a limited power of attorney document so that we can do all of everything on your behalf. There's two documents that you'll need to execute when you hire us and two more documents that you'll need to execute uh, per ownership transfer. Uh, but you get those done with the notary public and you post them to us. I see. Okay. But it's always a good idea to oh. come and look at areas where you've purchased or are going to purchase. Definitely advise it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm okay to not look at it so long as uh, it makes sense, right? I, I'm with you. I, I'm just work off Excel sheets, but uh, people do like to walk around the building and say yeah, that. I mean, you can't enter a tenanted property in Japan. Tenancy laws prohibit that. So you're not going to be able to look yeah. inside, but at least you can walk around the building and know that it's yours kind of thing. Right? I see. Um, uh, how how do I receive rent? I I tried to open a bank account in Japan and I no, you can't. Really you can't. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we how, how as part of our monthly management service, we collect your rental income, pay your expenses, we give you an annual statement of account, so you'll know how much you've got accrued. Um, even if it's throughout the year when we haven't issued the statement, we can give you a rough approximation at least, and then whenever right. you instruct us to, we just send funds to you. Okay. Um, but you, you want to sign up with um, OFX or WISE or one of those guys because don't let your bank exchange your uh, yens to dollars. They'll oh, yeah, rip you yeah, off. I, yeah. I, I, do, I do use WISE as well. Yeah. Okay. Right. Just bear in mind that WISE, I think, are limited to 1 million transfers. So when you're transferring the 100,000 over for the purchase, it's better to use OFX or another company OFX. that doesn't have that limit. Yeah. I'll send you, if you remind me, I'll send you a referral link for OFX. I'm with them and with WISE. So you can get bonuses, whichever you sign up with. Yeah, please, please do. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask regarding the budget. So for the apartment, you're looking at about hundred uh, k. So that's about ten. Is that that's ten million yen, right? Yeah. I got the conversion correct. So how about if we're looking at buying a, a small house on on a land? What would a recommended budget be? Um, well, to make sure it's livable and comfortable and doesn't require too much work right after purchase, I'd probably, again, look towards around 10 million or so. 10 million as well. Yeah, but that's, again, not the best investment, yeah? Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. Not the best in terms of you or in terms of uh, growth? Um, not the best in terms of unexpected maintenance costs and longer right. vacancies. Okay, longer vacancies and and uh, right, and maintenance. Okay, how much would the maintenance cost be for houses? Like like just have a rough idea. Um, we normally evaluate something like two to three thousand dollars a year between let's say twenty five to thirty five, forty years old. And then maybe three, two to three thousand. Yeah, and then maybe three to four thousand a year beyond that. Right. Um, that can get a lot higher if it's a traditional built home like last century and not last century anymore, <laughs> the century before. Um, <laughs> I mean, those are bigger and sturdier and much better uh, building materials, but they require a very specific craftsmen to maintain anything right. on them. Right, right. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, and in particular our JREP sessions, you're probably more than familiar with Blanca Kobayashi of Arc Reform. They're a bilingual renovation company serving clients in the Kanagawa and Kanto area. So Tokyo, Chiba, Saitama, Kawasaki, Yokohama. They can handle simple, small-scale projects as well as full house renovations. And they will work with you on the perfect design for your dream family home. But not only homes, Arc Reform also handle commercial property renovations, 
offices, restaurants, bars, shops, you name it, from traditional classics to the latest trends in interior design and renovations. So you want to email them for a free consultation and quote at info at arcreform.com. That's A-R-K reform, all one word, dot com, and give your home or commercial space the love and care that it deserves. When, when, when you buy over apartments or homes, um, is it likely that there will be some kind of renovation uh, needed? Like just to refurbish the place to um, ready for rental? So when you're buying a vacant property, that's usually going to be after a renovation. Oh, they would have renovated it already? Normally they would be sold renovated unless it's like a really... Wow like a really Cheap. bargain deal that somebody just wants to get rid of. We, we sold a okay. few units unrenovated, but mostly we'd renovate them before we sell them just to get a better price and, and more interest. Um, right. If you're buying tenanted, then it's obviously, again, nobody fine, can enter yeah. a tenanted unit to inspect it. So we're going off what we assume is the condition and we can sort of assess that based on the length of the tenancy and the tenant profile. So again, if it's an older man who's been living there for 15 years, we know there's going to be a very big renovation bill. And if it's a young couple who just moved in two years ago, now have a baby and move out, that's probably going to be very light. Yeah. I see. Um, Do you have uh, contacts or any recommended contractors that can help with that? Like if that's a renovation is needed? We do in each particular city. It's not the same company, but yeah, in each city we work right, with right. different companies. Right. A lot of the time it'll be, if we have a good property manager in that city, um, then they would have good recommended uh, companies that they regularly work with. If we don't like uh, the prices, okay. then we'll just get a second opinion and make them work with right. somebody else. Same as you do anyway. Right. Okay. So, so the renovation will be managed by you or the property management company? Um, by the property management company, but with us keeping a very close eye on the proceedings. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, a lot of our work, um, again, it's Japan, so there's no criminal practices involved, but a lot of our work does involve recognizing that a particular property manager is not doing a very good job and looking for a new one. That's, we do that on a regular basis. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the, the only concern I have is like, the, the, the price of renovation could vary very widely between different parties, right? So You can generally so, assume the average is um, something like 50 to 70,000 yen uh, per year of tenancy. Right. Assuming it's a, one of those smaller single bedroom or, or one bedroom plus living dining kitchen kind of apartments. The bigger it is, the more it's going to cost, but it doesn't double by the number of rooms. It's, let's say, 50% for each extra room or so forth. Mm, okay, understood. Okay. So when you're, again, when you had an older gentleman living there for 15 years, you can assume something like, let's say, 20,000, 30,000 renovation. Right, okay. Um, I understand if, if uh, we were to continue, basically, is to sign the contract of service and also the limited power of attorney, right? Correct, yes. And we also right. need, for your first purchase, we'll also need our fee estimate paid in advance. Mm, From the second purchase and onwards, we can just charge you after settlement. It's only for the first. Okay, got it. Um, I I am currently making a trip to Japan on the 18th, actually. So I was, I was wondering if... This month? Um, yeah, this month. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Are you passing through Fukuoka? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, no. It's okay. only in, uh, around the Tokyo area. But I, if my time allows, I, I can try to make a trip now. Um, 
would it be possible to arrange to see or, or like what are the areas that I could go and have a look of the for, for potential investments? Would it be possible? So to recommend areas, we can definitely help you with that and you can just you know, take a walk. But I mean, most of Tokyo is not a bad place to invest. If you want to look at particular properties, then we will definitely need some preparation time. How long are you staying for? Uh, just a week. <laughs> um, we normally ask people to give us about a month's notice. We can try to squeeze it, it within it. two, three weeks, but I can't make any promises. It depends on how available the listing agents are, how available our staff right. is, and in yeah. between so those... <laughs> Uh, no, I may not have to uh, see this round. I'm just, uh, just exploring the idea since I'm going there. But what we can definitely do is we can provide some... Because again, if you're looking at tenanted properties, which is what most of our customers normally go I for... I can't go in anyway, right? So. so you can't go in anyway. So we can give you a list of yeah. attractive properties that we think, at least on paper, look like they might be a good investment and you can have a look at the building. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Then you don't need anyone uh, to yeah. liaise with. You just go and have a look. Yeah, yeah, because I will be at the Tokyo Yokohama area. I mean, one of the meetings is at Yokohama, so I will be there. Um, I think the team wanted to organize a trip to Chiba. I'm not sure what's there, but. Well, what do you do for work, it. by the way? Uh, we are in a management company, so we do uh, finance management. Okay. Yeah, and so so it's like a it's like company trip. Uh, is managed by another team. I'm just tagging along. <laughs> okay. Well, we um not all of the some of the agents when they list properties online they don't put in the full address because they're scared that another agent will steal the listing from them if they know exactly where the building is. But they're usually they're usually within a couple of blocks area. So blocks. just walking around, yeah. you should be able to spot the building based on the photos. In any case. Ah, uh, got it, got it. Okay, cool, cool. So um, okay. So let me let me discuss with my my wife. Then if I want to uh, engage you guys, so basically it's the two documents and also the fee estimate, right? Yeah, but if you just want us to put in a couple of hours of research and give you a bunch of properties that you can go up and look at, we don't charge for that. Oh, that, 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 that's great. I mean, I really appreciate it. That's not, yeah. not a problem. We can do that anytime before you engage us. If you want to go beyond that two-hour research, start making offers, contacting listing sellers and so forth, then we need to be engaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the, the main thing that I'm looking at is because I don't speak the language, so it's great that you, you could help help us to kind of do a lot of translation and the link up and yeah, even like the negotiation. Even though I, I think in Japan, negotiation is not really something that people do, right? So... <laughs> not much, no. <laughs> not much, yeah. But whatever, whatever there is, right? I mean, if we can get a slight discount, that's great as well. Sure, that's not a problem. We're always happy to do that. Okay, all right. Then, then yeah... Uh, Please let me know what the uh, listing that I can go and take a look. Then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll hop over to have a look in uh, when I'm in Japan. And uh, if I can go down to Fukuoka, I would love to, you know, meet you as well. That'd be great. Uh, but I I'm going to be jumping straight into another meeting. So could you just email me because I'm going to completely forget by the time I'm done with the second meeting. Just email me with a reminder to do that research for you and I'll send it your way. I will. I will. Definitely. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thank My you so pleasure. Much. Speak to you soon. So there you have it, kind of a Japan real estate property investment 101 session. I hope you found some value in it. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, 
or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!